While paying tribute to a group of Navajo war heroes, Donald Trump yesterday referred to Senator Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas because she used to fake having Indian heritage to further her career. Warren fired back with a furious statement saying, quote, Great Orange Fathers speak with forked tongue to noble red man warriors. I will weep no more forever on the trail of tears as I stand for my people against the white man from across the sea, unquote. Warren is demanding the president's scalp, but Trump responded by threatening to shoot out the senator's eyes so her spirit couldn't find its way to the happy hunting ground. In short, the American government is working pretty much as usual. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I for hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, hooray, hurrah. You know, I have to say, for a, a cynical, horrible, monstrous person like myself, yesterday was actually a hilarious day. I mean, there was one piece of malfeasance and corruption and incompetence and rudeness after another. I, I went home after the show and I spent most of the day just laughing. And the only person who elevated things is Melania Trump, which I'm going to talk about because I actually thought she's, I actually thought she, there's something important about Melania Trump. We've been talking about morality is sort of the moral chaos that seems to have fallen over America that nobody can quite figure out what's right. And we're trying to decide between some kind of individual uh, guidance in morality and whether we need the morality of rules and how the morality of rules can keep from becoming a tyranny, how the morality of individualism can keep from becoming anarchy. And it struck me that one of my favorite passages, it's generally regarded as one of the greatest passages in all of Western literature, deals very specifically with this exact question. And so we're going to talk about that as we look at the insane stupidity and craziness that has become our country on a daily basis, which is, you know, good for me because I'm amused. And I'm, I'm here to be, it's like, like my mother said to my father on her fir their first date, she said, he said, where do you want to go? And she said, I'm here to be amused. And that's basically been my my code for life uh, from that that time on. Speaking of which, when you are going on vacation, I hope some of you will be going on vacation for the holidays. I'm I'm a very picky vacationer. I like to be treated well. And so in the past, I've always wanted to go to hotels. But after a while, my wife convinced me, you know what, with a rental property, you get better stuff. We started to go to rental properties when we would go on hotels. And you get like all the stuff, like you can get a kitchen, you can get a fully stocked kitchen, you can get room for more rooms for your entire family. You don't, you know, I hate, I hate, when you're in a hotel, especially this happens to me in New York. When I was in New York, <laughs> when I was in New York, I, I saw this room in the hotel I was in that had bagels laid out. So I thought, oh, this is nice. You know, I'll go in and get, they offer bagels. So I go in and get a bagel. And I did that for about three days. And on the third day, a woman came up to me and she said, did you sign in for your bagel? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, this, this costs money. You have to sign in for it. And I went to sign in and I realized the bagels cost $16, $16 for a bagel in the hotel. So I thought, like, should I tell them that I've already eaten accidentally ate two of them? And I thought, no, I think three bagels for $16 is just about right. Because hotels know when you're stuck in the hotel, they can gouge you. But if you have your own place, if you rent your own place, then you can cook for yourself, go out and buy stuff in 
the local place. Also, you get just feel more like a local. And if you want to rent a place, the best place to go is Tripping.com. It's the world's number one site for vacation rentals. With Tripping.com, one search lets you filter, compare, and sort over 10 million available properties on trusted sites like VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and more. Don't wonder if you're getting the best deal on the New Year's Eve cabin or winter beach vacation. You will save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. Don't forget, if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation rental for your next trip, head to Tripping.com slash Clavin. That's K-L-A-V-A-N. And you can tell people you were tripping with Clavin. Tripping.com slash Clavin. Tripping.com slash Clavin. It really is, uh, will get you in into the place that you're visiting. It will make you a, more of a part of it. And it really is a lot more fun. And now I know the hotel I was just staying in is going to call me up and say, you owe us $32 for two bagels. <laughs> but that is true. They do gouge you. Anyway, uh, we got to start with Trump and the Navajos. I mean, this was just too funny. So Trump is got the now. You know who the code talkers were, right? The Navajos. They did, they did this in World War One too. They made a movie about with I think uh, uh, Cage with Nicholas Cage was in it. I think uh, they made a movie about them. They were called the Code Talkers, I think. And the reason they used the Indians was because they had a very obscure language, so they could turn that into a code, and you could communicate, and they couldn't, the bad guys couldn't bust the code. And they did this during World War I, too. They did it a lot. But the World War II guys are, of course, the ones who are still alive, so I think three of them came for, to, for Trump to pay tribute to them, and he's paying tribute to them. And this is what our president said. You were here long before any of us were here, although we have a representative in Congress, who they say was here a long time ago, they call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you. <laughs> Just look at the face on this guy. He's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And of course, Elizabeth Warren was livid. She immediately uh, put out this statement. You think you own whatever <laughs> land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. I'm sorry, that was the actual Pocahontas. She's now working as a Harvard Law professor. Here was Elizabeth Warren's statement. You know, this was supposed to be an event to honor heroes people who put it all on the line for our country, and people who, because of their incredible work, saved the lives of countless Americans and our allies. It is deeply unfortunate that the President of the United States cannot even make it through a ceremony honoring these heroes without having to throw a racial slur. Look, Donald Trump does this over and over, thinking somehow he's going to shut me up with it. It hadn't worked in the past. It is not going to work in the future. I have to say that if these, these, the left is so uncreative, this thing that it was a racial slur, this was picked up by every single news commentator, every single news place, racial slur, oh, it was a racial slur, it was a racial... There's nothing, there's, it is no racial slur to say Pocahontas. The only thing I was a little offended by was Pocahontas became a Christian and referring to Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas is kind of, I mean, it's Focahontas. Can he get this right? Can't the president, he's the president of the United States. It is Focahontas because she is a fake Pocahontas. It's elevating her too much to compare her to Pocahontas. I mean, so, so they do this stuff and of course, 
Trump knows exactly what they're going to do. He is always two steps ahead of them. He, you know, you can say what you want about him. I, I thought it was tremendously ungracious, tremendously rude to do that in that moment, you know, to bring up his political battle in this moment where he's paying tribute to heroes. Hilarious? It was hilarious. It was absolute. I mean, I laughed till I cried, but still, in real life, you know, it was rude. It's a rude thing to do, but it's not racist. And when they pile that stuff on, the, those of us, namely, I would say 80% of the country, who are so sick and tired of having race thrown in our face over every little thing, they just make him look good. They play, you know, they, they are like, they're like the lions, the Christians going into the lions. He devours them because they've got this one thing in their playbook. Couldn't they have just said, oh, he was rude, it was inappropriate, or whatever they want to say, or just let it go. Let, let the people make their own judgment. So they come up to Sarah Sanders and they hit her with it, and she had the perfect response. I think what most people find offensive is uh, Senator Warren lying about her heritage to advance her career. Now she Stephen said it was a Harris. racial slur. She said it was a racial slur. What is your response to that? I, I think that's a ridiculous response. <laughs> She's right. You know, they hate the press. The press is getting. She is driving Sarah Huckabee Sanders is driving them crazy because she really, without being Sean Spicer, without throwing the furniture, without eating the furniture, she just makes them look so bad. And it is ridiculous. She did claim to be a Cherokee. This is a joke. You know, among Native Americans, it's a joke that people who are not. Um, Indians, when they want to claim to be Indians, they all claim to be Cherokees because there are a lot of Cherokees and people can say that they're Cherokees. She claims, Warren claims, that she never used this to advance her career, but it's ridiculous. You know, she was listed herself as a minority professor. She she actually contributed five recipes to the, I swear this is true, to the Pow Wow Chow cookbook published by the Five Civilized Tribes Museum in Muskogee. And she signed the item, she signed the recipes, Elizabeth Warren Cherokee. I mean, you really have to have no sense of yourself to do this. So it is, it is absurd. And finally, so they keep going in this racial slur and people saying the racial slur, but the Indians uh, themselves, the Native Americans, they had a comment too. They issued this statement. <laughs> okay, that may have been an overreaction on their part. <laughs> Oh, this is terrible. What, who's, who wrote this? Oh, I did. I'm sorry. It's a terribly racist show we're having here. But, you know, the, th the thing is, the thing is, in my, in my uh, observation, everybody acted badly. Trump is acting smartly. He is being a smart politician because he is bringing these guys out. If he is going to win, which I think he, he will if he keeps up, if he's going to win in 2020, he just needs to draw these people out. He needs to do what nobody has done and say, look, they're phonies, they're frauds, they're, they're, everything is racist, it's not racist, and all this stuff. So, so he's doing he's doing a good job, but it was incredibly rude, incredibly ungracious to treat these heroes like that. So they have him on that. And then the left acts badly, too. I mean, the left with their lies and their charges of racism. And Elizabeth Warren with that earnest little face, you know, that earnest, oh, it was so sad that the president of the United States. It's just everybody, everybody is acting badly. And then, and then we have James O'Keefe. Now, I have to say, I've always liked James O'Keefe. You know, he's, I, I admire what he does. He, he's the guy, Project Veritas. He sends people in 
to well, you know what he does. He sends you know undercover people in to catch people out. He he had a tremendous success via Andrew Breitbart when he went after Acorn, which was a absolute con of a an organization still around. Really, he didn't destroy it as much as he, did, but he he did get a lot make it lose a lot of its government backing. He has had some real successes. He does tend. Just being fair, he does tend to announce that he has some amazing story, and it'll come out. It'll be some guy saying some untoward thing. And recently, he's been going after the media. And remember, he did that thing with the New York Times where he got them saying, admitting that they have been biased against Trump. He has somebody at the Washington Post now saying that they've been biased against Trump. But he pulled one off, and it fell flat, and he got caught. He sent a woman into the Washington Post with a fake story about Roy Moore, right, the Alabama Senate guy who's been accused of all this um, all this sexual malfeasance. And he sent a girl in to say that Moore had impregnated her when she was 16 and had then paid for her abortion. And the Washington Post was on the lookout. They knew, they knew that James was coming after him, and they got her. So here is a, a clip of the woman, what's her name, Jamie Phillips, uh, going in of Project Veritas, going into the Washington Post and telling her story, and the Washington Post reporter basically does what a reporter should do. She, she catches her. So, I'm, I mean, I think I probably just want to cancel and not go through with it at this point. Okay. And um, can, do you want to explain any more about how it was that you, you know, how you came to, to call us and... Um, no, I just saw an article last... I saw that article that was posted, mm -hmm. and that's how I reached out to them. Uh-huh. And are you in contact with other people? Are you in contact with the Roy Moore campaign no, or no, no, Steve Bannon no, or Breitbart? No, or, no, not at all. Uh-huh. So did your, uh, do you still have an interest in, as this says, um, combating the lies and deceit of the liberal MSM? Do you still have an interest in, in working uh, in the conservative media movement? to combat the lies and deceit of the liberal MSM? Is that no, is that still your interest? No, not really. Yeah. Not at this point. No. no. <laughs> She's just nailed. I mean, there's no way around this. The blowback was immense, and we'll get that in a minute. First, we will talk about another great gift idea, especially in your stocking. Uh, you know, it, this is one of the hardest things that I do is fill up my wife's stockings. Because my wife goes, you know, I have this great wife. She goes off and she does all, so much of the Christmas stuff. And I sort of sit around and occasionally I'll say, ho, 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 I will drink some eggnog. I do participate in that way. But but filling my wife's stocking is one of the hardest things I do because it's hard to find nice things that will fit into a stocking and don't cost a gazillion dollars. But Tracker is a great device that I use like all the time that you attach to whatever you don't want to lose and it will help you find them if you lose it. It is about the size of a dime. It is really tiny, a little disc, and you can attach it to your keys, you can attach it to books, purse, whatever it is you misplace. With me, that's everything, like everything. I, I wish, you know, I don't attach it to glasses because I think it would kind of look silly on it, but but what you do is you attach it. It's called Tracker. It's T-R-A-C-K-R. -R. That's how they spell it. They leave out the vowel. I don't. I just think all these organizations are collecting these vowels for some sinister purpose. There's some you know, storehouse of vowels somewhere, but they leave it out. It's T R A C K R, and the website is called 
thetracker.com, T-H-E-T-R-A-C-K-R.com. It's about the size of a dime. You attach it to whatever you want. Then you have an app on your smartphone. And if you lose your glasses, lose your purse, lose whatever you lose, you press the app on your smartphone and it makes a noise. It takes a sound. And it also, it's like ways, you know, it also helps you find, you can, it guides you to it. So it says you're getting closer, you're getting further away and you find it. And I do it all the time. I have dropped my keys in on trails, hiking trails and all this stuff. And when you drop your keys on a hiking trail, you are in big, big trouble because there's no, you not only have to go back up the hill to find your keys, but also there's no way to get home (laughs) if you don't find your keys. And that has happened to me as well. So I use it for that. And then if you lose the tracker, you press the app on the phone and it helps you find the tracker. The the tracker itself makes a noise. So it's really, really useful. Tracker is a great gift. And during the holiday season, you can save 20% off your order when you go to thetracker.com slash Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N, thetracker, T-R-A-C-K-R.com slash Clavin. You save 20% off a tracker device, thetracker.com slash Clavin, it's very useful stuff, very useful. All right, so go back to O'Keefe. O'Keefe sends the girl in, he gets busted. Then the Washington Post goes to Project Veritas and does exactly what O'Keefe did to the New York Times editor, right? We played this on the show. O'Keefe went to the New York Times editor, chased him down the street. The editor wouldn't talk to him. And the same exact thing happens when the Washington Post confronts James outside of Project Veritas. Do you like our... Uh our techniques is that is there have you been inspired by project veritas uh <laughs> no we just wanted to uh, confirm that the woman we believe is jamie phillips works for project veritas she showed up she showed up here this morning I think it's really cute that you guys are borrowing our techniques so it was your it, it was a it was a design Actually, we're, then? we're busy right now well here's the Here's the problem. We're running you, through a meeting. Someone, someone yeah. approached the Washington Post reporter the saying the that problem. she was impregnated by Roy Here's Moore. The problem. Was that truthful or Here's was that... Here's the problem. Not? The problem is we're busy. So if you'd like to make an appointment, please call our office to make an appointment. Okay, I can do Thank that. You. So what we can actually, we talk today? Thank you. We actually tried contacting the New York okay. Times and all those organizations. Okay. And they refused to talk to us, so... You know, you could knock on our door and we'd be happy to talk to you, okay? But I have to run to this meeting right now. Okay. And... So I, I feel, again, that James blew this, right? Because the Washington Post came out looking good. They checked the story. Now, the fact, I found it kind of amusing that the fact that the Washington Post would fact-check a story became a story. Like, the Washington Post was just like, yeah, yeah, we fact-checked a story, yeah! I'm thinking, like, you're a newspaper, you should fact-check every story and people were people were vicious even on the right people were piling on to O'Keefe as if he had done something wrong now here's here's my reaction to this because he, he did do something wrong if okay if he just went in to expose the Washington Post if he suspected that their accusations against Roy Moore were a political setup and there's some reason to think that there's some reason to think that some of them were a political setup if he thinks that why not go in, and this is what he does, undercover journalism, why not go in and try and expose them and then admit it if you get caught? Admit that, no, they, they got you. You know, what, what, what is wrong with saying that? 
After all, it's not like the Washington Post hasn't gotten so much wrong during the Trump era. They have gone insane. Remember, they've changed their their little saying to democracy dies in darkness, so they've become pompous, sanctimonious buffoons, for one. And secondly, a lot of their stuff has, has been wrong. They got—what what did they have, that one story where the former Republican majority leader in the House— made a joke about Trump being in the pay of the Russians, and they reported it as a scandal. You know, Trump in the pay of the Russians! Says, you know, it was ridiculous. They've done all this stuff. Uh, that was Kevin McCarthy. They said Comey was fired. When Trump fired Comey, they said he had been asking for more funds for his Russia investigation. That wasn't true. They said that Russia hacked the electrical grid in Vermont. That was it. So the Washington Post ha have been absurd. They, they're in their hatred of Donald Trump, in their wild desire to, to do vengeance journalism on Donald Trump. They have made themselves absurd. Now, the story on Roy Moore has looked good to me. I re read the story, and it looked like a really well-sourced story. The women were named. The women didn't come forward. They found the women. You can say, well, why didn't they come forward before? But some of them just sounded very uh, very, um, you know, uh, reliable to, to me. And and Moore's, of course, his defense was not very—he kind of later on, he solidified his defense. We'll get to that in a minute. But if that's what he was doing, if that's what O'Keefe was doing, that's fine. If O'Keefe was in the pay of the Moore organization or if he was in the pay of Bannon at Breitbart, that's not journalism anymore. That is oppo research, and that's uh, you know an that's running an operation. So if he did that, I think he was wrong. And people are saying people are saying you know well he he was trying to get these poor abused women and make them look like they were liars, but he didn't do that. He didn't succeed. So, so I don't understand why you know like, like you that's like saying of the Washington Post. I thought all women were supposed to believe be believed, but you didn't believe this woman. No, I mean this is all's fair in love and war, and these are journalism wars going on. So I didn't feel O'Keefe was necessarily in the wrong unless he was in the pay of Moore or Breitbart. If he was in the pay of Moore and Breitbart, I think he was out of line because I don't think he should be working for anybody. I think he's a right he's a right wing journalist. He has the right to uh, fight his corner, but I don't think he should be in the pay of anybody. But everybody, this again, everybody. Acting badly. Every single person is acting badly. The mainstream media look like idiots. They have looked like idiots since Trump got elected and they became hysterical little girls screaming at everything that Donald Trump says after eight years of lying on their backs like a poodle waiting for their tummies to be scratched by Barack Obama. They just look absurd. I don't think O'Keefe came out of that smelling like a rose. I think he was wrong not to turn and face the music and say, good job, you guys. I thought you were doing a bad thing, but you showed, proved me wrong. That's journalism, too. You know, proving that the Washington Post is checking their stories. That's journalism, too. I don't know why he should run away like a criminal, and I don't know why the right should pile on him like, a, like he's a criminal. We need people like this to expose the mainstream media. They are corrupt. They are ideologically corrupt. And the fact that some of them are talented journalists makes it all the worse. It's all the worse that they're talented journalism working, journalists working in a corrupt way. Again, with Trump, everybody, everybody looking bad. And we'll deal with that a little bit in a minute. But first, here is a great holiday gift that you can't leave in people's stocking because it's meat. Do not leave meat in people's stocking. Remember, you heard this here, especially the guys out there who are just stupid enough to leave meat in your wife's stocking. Hey, 
honey, I left meat in your stocking. Do not do that. But that doesn't mean you can't give a great gift of great meat for Christmas with Omaha Steaks. I have been eating, they've been sending me their steaks and their food, and it is terrific. It's special. It, it really is different. It's for, they now have a gift that for only $49.99 for 50 bucks, let's, let's just be frank here, it's 50 bucks, you get a family, my family gift pack. You go to omahasteaks.com and enter my code Andrew in the search bar and that's 75% off. Let me tell you what you get with this for, un, this is under, well they say it's under 50 bucks, it's 50 bucks. You get two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, amazing right? And that's not all. You get four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets. I would pay 50 bucks just for the caramel apple tartlets. One Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus you get four additional kielbasa sausages for free. This is really good stuff, and you don't have to go out. I was watching people on Black Friday, is that what it is? Go beating the crap out of each other. And I don't, you know, people make fun of those people, but, you know, it's good deals, and I get it. You're saving some money, but you don't have to do that. You can save money just by going onto omahasteaks.com. And right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings just to my listeners. This 50 buck offer, you get it by going to omahasteaks.com and enter the code Andrew in the search bar. It's a 75% savings, a gift that is guaranteed to be a hit, especially when you start eating it. All right, we have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but you can come over to thedailywire.com and listen to the rest of the show. You can listen to the rest of the show on YouTube. You can listen to the rest of the show in your head. Just imagine the rest of the show, but it's just not as good as watching the whole show on thedailywire.com. And the way you do that is you got to subscribe. It's a lousy 10 bucks a month. Tomorrow's the mailbag. I forgot. Tomorrow is the mailbag. So let me explain how to do that again, because it's important. You go on the mailbag. You can leave any question you want. Personal questions, religious questions, political questions, the answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will say, change your life on occasion for the better. You go on the dailywire.com site, hit podcast, go to my podcast, and there is a little thing that says mailbag. It's a little image, and you press the mailbag image, and you can leave your questions right there. I will answer as many as I can. I get these letters from people uh, who just say the answers really do help them out. So, do that, but in order to do that, you got to subscribe. Lousy 10 bucks a month for 100 bucks, you get the entire year, plus you get the leftist tears tumbler, which actually magically fills up every time I speak. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. We'll keep your leftist tears hot or cold, however you like them, and they taste so good. Come on over to thedailywire.com. Okay, so finally, we've got this back to the sex thing. And I, I, I get tired of talking about the sex thing because I feel that everybody is a hypocrite and everybody is, ta even the people who are taking the high road and saying we can't elect anybody who is uh, guilty of sexual malfeasance without taking into account the other person who is running against them. You know, I mean, I, I think it's awful the way these guys treat women. I truly do. I think if a woman cannot get into an elevator in our Congress without feeling safe, it really does bother me. You know, Cokie Roberts said that yesterday. It really does bother me that the press knew this and just covered up for them, almost certainly, because they're Democrats. If a, if a Repu you know, Republicans 
there are Republicans saying that since the Trump, that Trump is dragging us all down, as if Republicans were somehow morally better than Democrats, especially on things like this. It is very, very possible that Republicans have behaved better toward women than Democrats have for the simple reason that the press would burn them if Cokie Roberts, you would never see Cokie Roberts saying, oh, yeah, we covered up for Ted Cruz, but every woman knew that you couldn't get into an elevator with Ted Cruz. She would never say that, which she did say about John Conyers, the icon, the Democrat icon. You would never hear them flacking for Al Franken. Al Franken, the guy, he really is, he really is a piece of work. He, he's gone out and made these non-apology apologies. Back in the Nixon era, Woodward and Bernstein used to make fun of Nixon because he would have non-denial denials. Now we have the non-apology apology. He can't remember. He would never, what did he say? I would never touch a woman's buttocks intentionally. Now, I can't say that. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know any man who can actually say that. It's just which woman and did she give you permission? So here is Al Franken doing an interview I just find this mealy-mouthed and, and despicable. Here is his interview, uh, basically his apology tour. Franken did unequivocally apologize for the photograph from that same trip that shows him smiling with his hands over Tweeden's breasts. The picture, uh, that was inexcusable. And that's the thing I'm most, I think, ashamed for. Then there are three other women, Lindsay Mentz and two others who came forward anonymously in a Huffington Post article. All have similar stories claiming that Franken, while posing for pictures with them, grabbed their buttocks. They say the incidents happened between 2007 and 2010, when Franken was either running for office or was a United States senator. Are they mistaken that their butt was grabbed? Is that what you're saying? I am not saying that. I don't remember these. As I said, I take thousands of photos, so I don't remember these particular photos. I think with all due respect, I think people are going to look at this and find it hard to believe that someone such as yourself wouldn't know that they were grabbing somebody's butt. I can understand how people would feel that way. But have you ever placed a hand on some woman's butt? You know, I, I, I can't say that that hasn't happened. <laughs> I love the guy. He's still a pretty good comic, I have to say. I always admired him as a comic, and uh, that's still pretty funny. I can't remember, you know, I just don't remember the... I remember that I've taken a lot of pictures with people, but I don't remember the ones where I was grabbing the woman's butt at the time. Those slipped my mind. And the Democrats, the same people who are parading around going, oh, the horror of Roy Moore, oh, the horror of Roy Moore, here they are defending Al Franken and John Conyers when asked whether these guys should resign. Because the one thing you didn't hear Franken say was, I resign. You didn't hear him say anything rem even remotely like that. Because he ain't going anywhere. And they're using this thing the Ethics Committee has to has to investigate all these people, which is basically where they send this stuff to die when they're not using your tax dollars to pay hush money to the women. So here is a, a montage of Democrats coming up with their incredible virtue to defend Al Franken and John Conyers. Do you think Al Franken should resign? I think that's up to the people of Minnesota, and I do think we need to have the ethics investigation first. What do you that? Do you, do you now think that your colleague Conyers should resign from the House? No, and I don't think the rules are different from anyone else because we see that uh, one of the biggest isms that we have a problem with in America is sexism, uh, along with racism. What do you think should happen to him? Should he resign? That's uh, the question that will have to be determined after. The investigation, obviously, more than just an apology. Committee, Some but do you think he should remind from his seat in Congress? 
Well, I really don't know. Uh, um, your colleague, Al Franken, has been accused. Do you think he should resign? I think that that is a distraction to be talking about resignation, because what's really at the bottom of this whole issue of sexual harassment is that it is uh, um, pervasive. So, so basically, no, we're not giving up one single vote anywhere. Nobody is giving up any single vote. Trump is being hit for not, you know, Trump says he's not going to campaign in Alabama for Roy Moore, but he's not attacking him either, and he's saying we need the vote in there. And I, I have to say, even the people, especially some of the never-Trumpers who say, basically, who, who try to lift themselves above this, I don't think that that's a moral stance either. Democratic politics sullies you because the people who get elected from the beginning of time are, are sometimes bad people. And Thomas Jefferson, not a great person, really. You know, some of the stuff he was doing, John F. Kennedy, people blame Clinton for changing the game by basically staying in office after he was caught. But that's not fair. I mean, John Kennedy was doing terrible things in the White House and in the Oval Office. They just didn't cover it. What changed the game with Bill Clinton was the drudge exposed him. What changed the game with Bill Clinton was that the new media overrode the uh, hereditary media, the corporate media, and started to tell these stories. That's what's changed the game. It's not that people are doing anything different. It's that they're all being exposed now, not because of CBS or NBC or ABC, but because of Drudge, because of the, of the, um, the Internet. So this stuff, you know, now we have a new—the new situation that we have is not that men chase women around desks. That's not the new situation. The new situation now is that you can't do it in secret, is that everything gets exposed. Democrats, Republicans, everybody gets exposed. And it turns out, oh, my gosh, we're all hypocrites. We all will vote for the guy as long as we get the vote. You, you know, maybe we should have known that. But it does create the sense of that we're in a moral morass. It creates the sense that we have moral chaos. And this has been going on. I mean, it is—it's galling that the left, which has been undermining our sexual morality for 50, 60 years is now wave, wagging its finger in our face and saying men should be gentlemen after it's just finished telling us that to treat women for 50 years, that women treating women differently than you treat men uh, is, is a bad thing. So I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been thinking about this idea of how we go forward morally and the difference between the idea of individualistic morality, which I'm a very much in favor of, and rules morality, which I don't really like. I mean, it doesn't sit well with me. And yet, if you live in a chaotic, lower-class neighborhood where the social fabric has fallen apart, the rules can be a very, very powerful guide for what you're going to do. Even even little rules that are, seem simple, like you know the Catholic Church telling you what to eat on Fridays, can be very uh, salutary. They can be very helpful. And then you have... People like me who say, no, you've got to use God and go forward. And it suddenly occurred to me that one of the greatest passages in all of Western literature deals with exactly this question. It, I'm often asked, because I'm a novelist, I'm often asked what my favorite novel is, and I can't answer that because so many I have so many favorites, but the one that novel that has changed my life more than any other was Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky was as close a thing to a seer as there was in literature. I mean, he saw communism coming 50 years away. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He saw the death of God coming. And in Crime and Punishment, he was responding to Nietzsche before Nietzsche ever wrote anything. He may have written things, but he hadn't published things. 
what Nietzsche basically said was God is dead, morality is now relative, we, all, all we can do is parse, find the, the genealogy of morals, find out where our morals come from, and the left has basically been following that and turned it into the philosophy of relativism and multiculturalism, and Dostoevsky wrote a novel in which a guy basically s decided to become the Nietzschean Superman before there was such a thing, and to kill somebody. And he discovers that no, in fact, he has violated the moral code that is in the universe. What uh, Kant said, Kant said there are two great realities, the starry sky above and the moral law within. And Dostoevsky was putting that forward. When I read that book, I was 19 years old the first time I read it, I remember that it changed the direction of my soul. It was like a big ship turning in a different direction because I was surrounded by relative, relativists. Relativism was on the rise. Nietzscheism was on the rise. The new criticism was on the rise. And I thought, you know what? These guys are wrong. These guys are wrong. And that ultimately, 30 years down the road, it ultimately resulted in my becoming a Christian, and which also was what happened to Dostoevsky. But Dostoevsky wrote another great book called The Brothers Karamazov. It's a harder read, and it's, I, I had to read it three times before I actually understood it. You know, it was the third time when I thought, oh, I get this book, you know. In The Brothers Karamazov, there is a passage which you can go out and buy separately, actually, called The Grand Inquisitor. Have you ever read this, The Grand Inquisitor? Oh, man, it's, it's, it is some piece of work. It's, it's better if you read it in context, but one of the characters, a very cynical character, tell, stops the story of the Brothers Karamazov and tells a story within the story. And I'm not going to read it to you because it's too long, but I will just give it to you very quickly. It takes place during the Inquisition in Spain. And the Grand Inquisitor, they're burning people at the stakes. And the Grand Inquisitor has just finished in Seville, I think it is. He's just finished burning a bunch of heretics. Jesus... The Christ comes back to earth and starts performing miracles. And the people recognize him right away, and they start coming to him with their health problems and everything. And in fact, a little girl who has died is brought to him, and he raises her, as he does in the Gospels. He raises her from the dead. And the Grand Inquisitor is walking by, and he sees Jesus doing this, knows exactly who it is, and has him arrested and brought before the Inquisition and condemned to be burned to the stake. And he goes into the prison cell, and the Grand Inquisitor confronts Jesus, and he says, you had no right to come back. You have no right to add anything to what's already in the Bible, and you are getting in the way of the great work the church does, stopping people from being free, because what you brought them was freedom, and you did it when you... Uh, when you decline the temptations of Satan in the desert. In the desert, Jesus has three temptations. The devil comes to him and says, if you're the son of man, if you're the son of God, change these stones to bread. And he says, no, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So he refuses to change the stones to bread. So the devil says, all right, if you are the son of man, prove it. Throw yourself off a cliff and let God's angels come. And, do, and, and Jesus says, no, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And Satan says, all right, well, here's what you do. If you will worship me, if you will worship me, I will give, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. So you can see them out in front of you. And Jesus basically says, pound sand to Satan. <laughs> I don't think, maybe that's not a direct translation from the Greek, but that's basically what he says. And the Grand Inquisitor says to Jesus, all people want is bread. They will, all you had to do is change the stones to bread and the people would have been served that they will sell their lives for bread. They will sell their conscience for bread. They will sell everything if you just give them bread. And he's talking about communism. He sees communism. Dostoevsky, he sees communism coming down the line. He says, when you refuse to throw yourself off the cliff, 
and prove that you're the son of God, you took away from people somebody to worship. That's the other thing they want. They want to worship somebody. They want to throw their conscience to somebody else. They want to make a saint of somebody else. And you refuse to become that person. And you kept insisting that the people should be free in their conscience. And when you refuse to take over the kingdoms of the world, you refuse the third thing. Let me redo. This is like one sentence. Just he, The Grand Inquisitor says, all that man seeks on earth is someone to bow down to down to, someone to take over his conscience, and a means for uniting everyone at last into a common, concordant, and incontestable anthill, for the need for universal union is the third and last torment of men. Men want something to be true for everybody, and they want somebody to be in control of everybody. They want something to come together. And Jesus, by refusing those three temptations, has forced the people to be free. And what the Grand Inquisitor says, yes, there are maybe 10,000 people who will benefit from that freedom. But what about all the millions? We as the church who serve Satan, we are on the side of Satan. We serve those millions. And yes, we take away their lives and we take away their freedom, but we give them what they want. We give them bread, we give them somebody to worship, and we give them a universal truth that they can refer to at all times. I, Dostoevsky was not, he was a Christian, but he was not easy on the Roman Catholic Church. And, and, and this is a story that's told by a very nefarious character, and they, so it's not an authoritative story. At the end of the story, the Grand Inquisitor says, to Jesus, he pardons him. He says, I'm not going to burn you at the stake. I'm going to let you go, but get out of here. Get out of town. And Jesus leans forward and he kisses the Grand Inquisitor and he leaves. And one of the last lines of the story is something like the kiss burned in the Inquisitor's heart, but he did not change his opinions. <laughs> it's a very, so it doesn't come to any conclusion, but it's a very uh, beautiful picture of the quandary that we're in. We are, you know, social media plays to this. It plays to your outrage. Why does it play to your outrage? Because outrage makes you feel virtuous. Outrage does exactly the opposite of what Jesus told you to do if you wanted to be free. Jesus told you not to look at the sins of the other person, but to look at your own sins, to look at yourself first. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Take the plank out of your eye before you... Uh, attack the moat in another man's eye. All you get on Twitter, all you get on social media, all you get on Facebook all day long is the moat in the other guy's eye because that outrage is addictive because it makes you feel virtuous when you are not. And that is the way we're being deceived. We're being deceived by this constant perpetual outrage over some, some of the things are outrageous, some of them are not constant outrage, which makes you feel good about yourself. And we're constantly looking for our guys to be saints and their guys to be devils. And we are all, all of us falling short of the glory of God. And this was why Melania Trump yesterday was to me a shining star. And when I say this, when I finish saying this, you're going to be so ticked off at me. You won't believe it. Melania Trump came forward to show the new Christmas decorations. Just show the show the new, the, the 12, cut 12, just the decorations themselves first. Can you keep my mic on for a minute? Because the decorations themselves are just beautiful. And she really, I mean, she's got a great taste. And obviously, you can see her walking through this. It's just absolutely spectacular. That is a gingerbread bread White House. It, uh, really, it really is beautiful. And there's a fantastic crash in there, which I have to say, I, I have to say compares. Look at this. It really is nice. So 
so she come out, comes out to show this. And by the way, this is in comparison to the Obama White House tree, which shows show number 13. Uh, yeah, so it had Mao, who mur murdered tens of millions of people, was on the tree. And cut number uh, 14 is Obama on Mount Rushmore. Obama's <laughs> head. So the Obama tree was about Obama. The Melania's tree is about the White House. But the most touching thing was she came out to greet these children. And I don't know what they, they represented, some organization. And she walks out to greet these children. And just watch this quick cut. comes out, and if you couldn't hear it, the kid says to her, are you the first lady? And it turns to another kid and says, she seriously looks like an angel. And then they all, she comes out to shake their hands. They all run into her arms. I think Melania is doing a great job as the first lady. I am so proud to have her representing me. And every time I bring this up, especially on the Never Trump right, they say to me, you know, this is a woman who posed nude in lesbian kind of pornographic pictures, and that she was almost certainly a... What's the word? A gold digger. Uh, that who, uh, you know, obviously she was a gold digger. Who would marry Donald Trump except for his money, right? You know, like, I mean, think about it for a minute. Would you, ladies, be honest, would you marry Donald Trump? And there's an apocryphal story that she once said, you know, well, yeah, I married him for his money, but he married me for my looks. So what's the diff? That, I don't know whether that story is true or not. And, and so whenever I mention that, her past, the people who love her get angry at me. And whenever I mention how, what a great job she's doing, the people who hate her and who hate Trump bring up that stuff. But to me, it's that stuff that makes her so beautiful. It's that stuff that makes this so amazing, that she did those kind of cheap pornographic pictures, that she uh, probably married Trump in some sense for his money, and yet she has elevated herself into this office where this kid just had a vision of an angel coming out of that Christmas tree. That's what you're aiming for. That is what, because this is who we all are. We are all, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And until you realize that, until you stop the outrage, until you take a look at yourself, then you start to realize what kind of complicated moral decisions we have. I'm not, I'm not hitting anybody for trying to keep a vote in the Senate over punishing some guy for what he did 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 10 minutes ago. I think these are complex moral questions that each of us has to uh, judge by standing before God as who we really are and what we've really done and understanding ourselves and then making the best moral choice you have. Democracy is a mess. Democracy is always a mess, and it sullies everyone who touches it because, because you are free to make the decision. This is what the Grand Inquisitor was protesting against. He was protesting against the fact that when you become free, when you make the decisions of who is going to be powerful and who isn't, then you are going to be touched by the dirt of the world. And I do not think that elevating yourself above that and pretending to be better than it and stepping away from it and making the choices look simple, I do not think that that is a moral choice. All right, sexual follies.
I've got to do this fast, but just complaints over New Zealand Commonwealth Games transgender selection. Laurel Hubbard, Australia's weightlifting chief, says New Zealand's selection of transgender athlete Laurel Hubbard will create an uneven playing field at next year's Commonwealth Games. They have allowed in the Commonwealth Games a man who says he is a woman to come as, on as a weightlifter. What? woman weightlifter has a chance against this guy. Gavin Hubbard, as Gavin Hubbard, before he became a girl Hubbard, the 39-year-old was a national junior record holder in the male 105-kilogram class before he or she transitioned into a so-called woman in his mid-30s. Rival athletes complained that he had an unfair advantage after he won gold at the Australian Open this year, lifting 123 kilos and 140 five kilos in the clean and jerk. This is insanity. This is insanity. I mean, if people, if, you know, one of the things that gets me about this is it reduces all of us to stupid, that we have to have a stupid argument about it, whether a man pretending to be a woman should be allowed to compete with actual women in a athletic contest, that we should have an argument about that, doesn't allow us to get into the kinds of discussions that need to be had about how we should treat one another, how we should treat, how men should treat women, how women should treat themselves, how women should treat men. All those things can only, all of those conversations can be only be had after we get past stupid. And all this leftist nonsense that reality is not reality just keeps us stuck in stupid. Hey, the mailbag is tomorrow. Go on the website, dailywire.com. Subscribe. Allows you 10 bucks a month. Hit the podcast page. Hit my podcast. Hit the, the mailbag and ask your questions. Answers will be guaranteed 100% correct and are going to change your life. For one or two of you, it will be for the better. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I'll see you again tomorrow.